Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head to head to see which one does its better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash as we count down to Halloween with King versus King. So on Monday, we were dog sitting a friendly St. Bernard named Cujo. And today we're getting our cat fixed because that will stop him wandering into the wrong shit he's dead. Well, there's a fix for that too. Time to visit an ancient Indian burial ground where definitely nothing bad will happen repeatedly from 1989 it's pet cemetery what is this place i brought you here to bury alan's cat daddy is church all right why judge i have no reasons i dreamed he got hit by a car and you and mr crandall buried him in the pet cemetery what did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. Today is Thanksgiving Day for cats, but only if they came back from the dead. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Good. Very well. Yeah? Yeah. Really enjoying King vs. King. Cujo was great mm. on Monday. What did you think of the shark play? I loved it. <laughs> Ian Shaw is I mean, just he's so good as his father, Robert Shaw. What did you think of it? I haven't seen it yet, but I will let everyone know on Monday. <laughs> yep. Okay, great, 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 great. Pull back the curtain. Love it. Love it. Set me up, knock me down. You're such a good friend. Such a good freaking friend. Did you like it, V? 
uh, the people that I was sat with who were appropriately dressed for the theatre had a really good time. I don't know what you two scruff bags <laughs> were up to. <laughs> right, very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you'd be kind enough to do that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, it would be massively appreciated by the three of us. And if you are able to give us a little rating and a review, we'd be very grateful. And if you do give us a review, it'll be read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. Well, we need some, we need some fresh reviews. Oh, really? Some that aren't weirdly passive-aggressive. And nice that I can read out. Um, so I Vicky am... stays away from it all. Don't even suggest that they might be passive aggressive. So I am going to read out an email we got this week. Uh, I'm going to read this out verbatim. Hello, love the pod. My friend's boy walked on tiptoes all the time and he ended up having to wear plastic casts on his legs for ages because the heel bone didn't form properly. Oh my Keep God. up the great work, Adam. Oh my God. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. That is... Oh, no. What was that? That was me talking about Super Nanny, but I can't remember why. <laughs> oh, it was Doctor Sleep. Right. Danny starts to talk and his mum doesn't make a fuss. You're not meant to make a big deal out of it and then they'll just stop doing it. Yeah. And I said how brilliant it would be if a child just walked on tiptoes. I now take that back, Adam. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, we need some new reviews. <laughs> need some new reviews. Okay, these were Victoria's choices this week. Remind us why. Uh, for a little change of pace with the intense um, human conditions that we've been looking at through uh, the other King versus Kings. Scary animals. Scary animals. Scary animals. <laughs> yes, this October, as we count down to Halloween, we are celebrating the Master of Horror as we pit Stephen King adaptation against Stephen King adaptation. It's King versus King. So... On Monday, Chris was busy dogging. And today, I'm saying, let's go fly a kite next to the most deadly road in cinema history. Let me take you on a journey. Lewis Creed has it all. A beautiful family, a good job as the doctor in a small town and an idyllic family home, albeit one that is severely lacking a garden fence. Kind of a problem when you live next to Death Highway. And soon enough, Death Highway lives up to its name and the family cat, Church, gets squished. Thank goodness for old man Judd, who tells Lewis there's a way to bring Church back, despite Judd having literally decades of evidence and personal history that this is the worst idea in the world ever. Like, literally, not once in Judd's experience have things ended well doing this. So Church comes back from the dead and plays a series of pranks on poor Lewis, making him jump every ten minutes and interrupting his bath wank with a rat. <laughs> that doesn't seem to bother Lewis, who follows up one bad idea with another, burying his dead son and then his dead wife in the same place even at the very end as he's making out with his wife's reanimated corpse as pus leaks from her eye socket and she prepares to stab him with a kitchen knife, Lewis refuses to see any problem with his plan because men just don't listen. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Pet Cemetery. So, histories with this movie. Chris. So, I guess I saw this when I was 15 and I was watching every horror film. Um, but my memory of this is more through the prism of the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery, which I went to see at the cinema uh, at a preview screening. And I was super excited about it. I think being, I don't know, a snob, <laughs> I was thinking, oh, because it's, it's my era, this one. The effects will be better. The storytelling will be more sophisticated. And then as I was watching it, it was making remember, me remember all the great stuff from the original that I actually preferred. And so it's funny. It made me like 
the 89 version better watching the 2019 version. Okay. So, yeah, that's my B? history. I have seen it before, but I was very little, very, very little. Uh. don't know where I was. And all I remember, this is how little I was. I didn't get any of the sort of the human sadness. I just remember the cat mm. um, getting squashed and being a bit evil and marauding. And that's all I remembered. I'm the same as you. I, I think I watched it when I was about 10 years yeah, old. Something 10. ridiculous. And I, I just I couldn't remember a single scene from it. And I was asking my brother, I was like, did we watch it together? Maybe he was like, yeah. And I remember one moment. I'm like, what's that? Remind me of something. He's like, rat bath. It's the ankle. <laughs> It's oh yeah, the ankle scene. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to you, Chris. Yeah, we'll come to you for the oh, ankle scene. Please don't. You have a funny thing about ankles. Well, it's Achilles tendons, not yes. ankles. It's Sorry, tendons. that's it's right. The tendon, man. It is. It's the Achilles tendon. You smash my ankle. That's fine. Misery got no problem with. Mm. <laughs> Where does this sit on the hostel scale? <laughs> I've never seen the hostel one, but oh. I've accidentally saw this one this week. I didn't shut my eyes in time. <laughs> we'll get there. All right, then let's talk a bit about the production of the movie. Uh, so Pet Cemetery is the book Stephen King still considers his most terrifying novel. So uh, we were talking about this on Monday and how King gets inspired by real life events. Check out this tick list. <laughs> uh, he writes the book after he's inspired by moving to a little town called Orrington in Maine. He says, we went to this nice house on the river and a pet cemetery was at the back of it. There was a path that went up there that the kids kept mowed. There was also a massive road in front of it, which my son Owen wandered too close to once. And also, his daughter's cat, Smucky, died after being hit by a truck. Right. So, as if that wasn't enough, there was an old guy right across the road. The kids were away somewhere, and he was the one who came over and said... You got a problem with your daughter's cat. And we went over and we looked and it was Smucky. He was on the side of the road and he hadn't been splattered or anything. He looked okay. He was just dead. Then he has a discussion with his wife about whether they tell their daughter, Naomi, about what's happened. Or do they say the cat's just gone away? Mm. He's just gone off wandering somewhere. <laughs> and in the end, different to the book, they go, yeah, Smucky's dead. Which is probably, in King's words, the right thing to do. But they did bury Smucky at the pet cemetery. And that night, after they buried Smucky, they heard their daughter in the garage and she was shouting, God can't have my cat. That cat is my cat. Let him have his own cat. And King says, I'll put all of that in the book. <laughs> Everything in the book, up to the point of the supernatural stuff, is absolutely true. He also says, I had the greatest time writing the book until I was done with it. And I read it over and I said to myself, this is awful. This is really fucking terrible. And not that it was badly written, but that all the stuff about the death of kids, it was so close to me because my kids lived near that road. I thought there's such grief in this book. It's just awful. And his opinion hasn't really changed that much over the years because that was him talking about it uh, you know, a couple of decades ago. And this is what he says in 2019. I listened to it last year when I was down in Florida walking on the beach with the dog. Michael C. Hall had done the audiobook. I was curious about it. You know, I hadn't been near it in 20, 25 years. So I listened to it and thought, my God, this is just awful. It's just as dark as can be. Weirdly, though, this is a book that I don't know what way this sits on your uh, countdown of the best Stephen King books, but this is 
a fan favourite of all his books. Have, have you have either of you read it? No. No. No, I haven't either. Oh. I really do wish to read it, though, because people talk about it as like, this is a truly terrifying book. Uh, he was asked once, does it seem strange to you that it's such a favourite among your readers when you find it so abhorrent yourself? To which he replied, well, P.T. Barnum said something like, nobody ever went broke underestimating the taste of the American people. I think that death really is a mystery and people get a kick out of seeing the veil lifted. And it's also the book that his wife wasn't happy about. You know, that that interview, which I've posted on our Twitter uh, in Playboy uh, in 1933, so the year the book was published, but a while after it had been uh, written, he said the particular sequence in it, he, he says uh, there was the moment when um, Lewis exhumes his son's body and he says the gas bloated corpse explodes with disgusting belches and farts a truly ghastly sound and smell that has been described to me in grim detail by mortuary workers and graveyard attendants it was because of that scene that Tabby didn't want me to publish the book So, it, and, and obviously his constant reader like Tabitha has a lot of say in what King mm-hmm. does and doesn't do and yeah that's why it was put off for a while was not only was he worried about it but she said you can't publish this and there was also, wasn't it a deal that he wanted to get out of with a publishing house, Doubleday? They were Double screwing day. him over for money. Unbelievably. He signed a deal with them. Um, I think they were paying £50,000 a year, which was an incredible deal when he signed it. Mm. But by the time, you know, the early 80s rolled around, he's Stephen King. This is a terrible deal. Mm. And they really needed to renegotiate with him and they didn't. So it was a way to get out of that deal. Yeah, he gave them this book, which was a big seller, but really they should have had more foresight, really, um, because they could still be publishing his books. But um, yeah, so it had been in a drawer for five years and it was, it, was, it was just a make way to get himself out of the deal. And you're right about obviously his wife, Tabitha, because when you read the book, I know we talk about it most weeks, but it's a fantastic book. Stephen King on writing, he talks about Carrie. I think he was, am I right in thinking? Yes. He, he threw it away. In, yeah, yeah, he yeah. threw it in the bin and she fished it out and read it and were like, what are you doing? This is fantastic. Mm. And obviously it went on yeah. to be a huge hit. I think she said, that's not how periods and tampons work. So we need to work <laughs> on that. But this is good. <laughs> <laughs> and so about the film itself, because that was just about the book. Uh, Stephen King wrote the script himself. It was going to be George Romero who was originally mm. going to direct it in the, the zombie movie by the zombie king. I know. And you sort of read that and you go, oh, what? it's one of those, what would that have been like? I, yeah, but you know, George Romero directed a lot of bad films yes. as well as a lot of good films. So, yeah, and indeed he dropped out, and uh, the script then sits in limbo because apparently there's no interest at that point in the mid 80s in any more Stephen King adaptations. And then just completely by chance, there's a writer's strike in 1988, and they're looking for completed scripts, and this is there. And so Paramount go, Look, it's already written, let's make this movie. Uh, King approves of their choice of director, Mary Lambert, who at that point had, had one critically but not commercially successful film called Siesta that I will quite happily handled my hands up and say I've not seen um, but you have seen her other work obviously she was she was on the set of Like a Prayer making that with Madonna when she read the script yeah she did Like a Prayer Like a Virgin and Material Girl she was Madonna's go-to video director and she, she met King for Burgers and she said the reason she got the gig was because she didn't come with an agenda she didn't want to change stuff mm. she said I, I like what you've done here 
You know what you're doing. Let's direct your story. It's amazing how well that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a yeah. skill. She got the gig, but he, he lived 20 minutes down the road and he just said, I'm here whenever you need me, which, I, you know, that can be dangerous, but it's clearly a lovely thing in this instance. And I think it worked for her over the course of making the film, as we'll get to, because I think there were points in the film where the studio were disagreeing with some of her choices mm. and she found a really good ally in King who backed up a lot of her decisions because they were his decisions. Yeah. Um, it sounds fun as well because he plays up to being Stephen King. Uh, one of the actors, Dale Midcliff, uh, Midcliff said that um, he would often come to set, he'd sit with them all, drink a can of Coke and read out loud from the obituaries, laughing his head off. You've got to love the man. Uh, his big uh, insistence was that they shoot in Maine, uh, which they did. Uh, the film comes out in 1989 and it gets uh, not great reviews, gets a bit of a drubbing by the critics, but goes on to be a huge hit. Uh, $11.5 million budget, nearly $60 million uh, at the box office. Uh, and also the Ramones had one of their biggest hits. I love that song. It's a great song. Mm. Apparently hardcore Ramones fans don't, don't like, like it. it. No. Yeah. Is that because it's got a fourth chord and they don't like fourth chord Ramones song? Because it's a bloody tune. Uh, yeah, and they did it because uh, Mary Lambert was uh, friends with them and she was like, would you do this? And they were like, yeah, sure. And I think they knocked it out in a couple of days. I don't think they spent long on it. No, they do their songs in a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All done. Uh, and um, some people, I was doing a lot of reading around sort of where this sits in the lexicon of Stephen King films, and there's a lot of people that still count this as one of Stephen King's scariest films. Mm -hmm. Those people are wrong. So, shall we get into the film? Yes. Any more for any more? Yeah. All right. Uh, so, we open on the Pet cemetery. And it looks fucking cool. <laughs> I really like this shot. And I also like the fact that when Pet Cemetery comes up on the screen, the T is a crucifix, a gravestone. Oh, yeah. mm. It's pretty nice. I like things like that. And then I got a little bit tearful, obviously, because I have a dog. But reading some of the messages on the gravestones, you know, there was like, we love you, boy. And... Biffer was a great sniffer. And I was like, oh, it made me think of Simon's mortality. Mm. And I didn't like that. And that made me a bit sad. But then you were happy because you remembered he'll probably eat you. Mm. Yeah, of course. Of course. And then the cycle begins again. <laughs> uh, then we met the Creeds. Dad, Lewis Creed. <laughs> Dad Lewis Creed, uh, a man who seems to be permanently on Valium as it takes five seconds longer than it should for any emotion to register <laughs> <laughs> with his brain. He, it's, it's an interesting performance from Dale. Um, yes. I don't dislike it. Mm. Uh, I find it's a bit of a grower. Like at first, you're like, "What's happening?" But it's, yeah, it's sort of off kill. It feels quite kind of. I don't know. It, it feels almost like you know a a a a, a, a daytime TV. Sort yeah, of. yeah. Sure. He feels like a TV guy, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah. You feel like you watch a TV actor. And there were a couple times I thought he was terrible, but then they turned out to be dream sequences. So I thought maybe he's being bad. He's he's being bad on purpose here. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's it's a strange one. Yeah. I flip flopped on him a lot in this one. I did. In the end, though, I was quite convinced by him. Uh, we also meet mum, Rachel Creed, uh, who uh, apparently once read what smiling was in a book, but didn't quite understand it. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That is brutal. <laughs> Denise Crosby. I mean, 
She's quite cold, isn't she? And it doesn't really come across until a little bit too late why she has these hang-ups about death and why she's so stern with Lewis about this subject of death and why she's such a dick to Judd when he brings up death. And by the time you get to the point where you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. she's incredibly underserved by this script. I yeah, think. yeah. Uh, and we also uh, have God-hating daughter Ellie, uh, who's played by two twin girls in the film, and uh, son Gage, a.k.a. Dead Meat, who the minute he's left on his own goes wandering towards Death Highway where trucks are attempting to break the land speed record. It is because Denise Crosby turns up and, she, and he's like, what do you think? She's like, I love it. And then a big truck goes by like, but we can't live here. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, we can't live. We've got two kids. There's no fence. Yeah, oh, build, build a fence. Build a massive, massive you fence. You are a doctor. You can yeah. afford a, a fence and a gate, just a wall. Build I'd a... make the kids wait in the car. I'd be like, you don't even get out of the car. We are going back wherever we came from. We're not living here. No it, way. It is insane how scary those trucks are. Yeah. Just the you, way they thunder You can by. play in the garden, but you will be tethered to a tree by a yeah. <laughs> put some Put some reins on it. And him. also for me, in that sort of parenting, it's not about, it's obviously about primarily the safety of the kids, but you have a life to live as well. Do you want to never be able to relax ever again for the rest mm. of your life? Because until they leave home, if they might, if they make it to being a teenager, because that's what they're signing they're up for. They're not leaving home. They're never leaving the house. That's you're true, you're yeah. locking them in that house. Yeah. And it's, the, the thing is, like you see the first truck thunder by and you're like, yeah, uh, Rachel is going to have a problem with that. This They're going to have to sort that out. That is got, this has got to be the first thing yeah. that you do. But if that wasn't bad enough, uh, old man Judd turns up and saves Gage immediately yeah. as he's wandering. Then you're certain. Yeah. At that point, there is no question. Well, this just, is just not workable. Seeing yeah. a truck is one thing, mm. but then seeing your son saved from within, you've been there. Less than five minutes, <laughs> yeah. and you've had to have your son saved by a stranger, and you are not going fence, fence, build a fence. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Um, but uh, Judd is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's very good. Fred Gwynn is so, so, in my opinion, he's so good in this film. And uh, it was, uh, it's weird because, um, Director Mary Lambert had to fight for him to to be Judd in the mm. film because the sheer went Herman Munster, mm. fuck off, <laughs> absolutely not. And she was like, "No, he's right, and he certainly is. He is perfect." Because throughout this film, you never he's so more complex than mm. initially you think he's going to be. Like, and we'll get into him because there's some weird decisions he makes. Yeah, and and um, just to go back to that that remake, I was so excited to see what John Lithgow mm. would do with the role, but then he watches like, yeah, not as good as Fred Gwynn. Mm. Love you, John, but like, it's just something. It's just a magical performance. It is. And so the family immediately asked Judd about uh, where the path at the bottom of their garden goes, and Judd says, uh, "That's a good story. That is, and not at all." Ominous, as you can tell from my tone of voice and the way I'm staring off into the middle distance. Uh, and we also meet housekeeper Missy, a.k.a. Mm. delete these scenes. Yes. <laughs> WTF. <laughs> what is going on there? In fact, we don't even need to talk about it. It's just a thing that happens for no reason. Just, I, uh, I don't know. Did, did, I, the only thing in my head, I was like, well, Stephen King, is he's got the cameo as the priest at her funeral. Did he go... 
no, Missy needs to stay in so yeah. I well, can you, have my cameo. You imagine there's a scene somehow connecting her with the and her Anything. death with the larger story. Yeah. But no, no, not okay. at all. I, I've got one theory. We'll, we'll, we'll come to it, but it's it's weak. I'll say that now. It's weak. Uh, anyway, Judge shows the family the pet cemetery and manages to piss off Rachel by mentioning the concept of death to young Ellie. Uh, at least I think it pisses her off. It's very difficult to tell. <laughs> it might just be a resting face. Uh, but Ellie is now very concerned about her cat church dying and directs her anger at God for trying to basically steal her cat and how God should get his own fucking cat (laughs) if he loves cats so much. (laughs) And a lot has been said about God in literature and in cinema. Mm. Cat thief is a first for me. (laughs) The idea that God is a cat thief. But did Stephen King tell... Did Stephen King doesn't believe in God? Did he tell his daughter that... Um, what was the cat called? Schmuck? What was he Schmucky, called? Schmucky. 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 Mm. Whatever. That the cat had gone to heaven because that seems like a bit of a cop out. I don't think he did. I think he went, no, it's dead. And she was like, <laughs> in heaven, you mean? He's like, that's not what I said. No. So- <laughs> I'm, I'm Stephen King. Yeah, so absolutely not. <laughs> well, I just, I, I wonder whether, uh, whether uh, it's what his wife was sort of looming in the background <laughs> because so you've got this cat. And I will say this, it is a beautiful scene where Church is in bed uh, with Ellie, sleeps under the duvet because my very first cat slept under the duvet with yeah. me when I was a, I was a kid and I, lo- I love that cat a lot and just in case you have any doubts about how uh, fertile my imagination was as a child I named that cat Puss so uh, really thinking outside the box my first cat I loved very much and similarly to you that cat was a ginger cat and was called Ginger mm. <laughs> but she used to sleep on my head yeah I loved it mm. so she would sleep across my head like a big headband yeah it was brilliant so uh, <laughs> a lot of love did you ever have a cat Chris yeah, kind of. I, I'm allergic to animals. And so when I was born, my parents had a cat. They didn't know I was allergic then. And it was one of those things where as soon as the baby came in the house, the cat didn't want to come in the house anymore. The cat wasn't happy. Yeah, they do that. Yeah. And so Susie didn't come in the house. So that's why they didn't know I was allergic because Susie stopped sleeping in the house. She would just come to the house for food. And then when I was about five, Susie um, killed a fox. Whoa! You cat killed yeah, a fox. So, so, so they found a dead fox in the garden. A baby fox or a full size? A, a, a big fox. Fantastic, and, and, Mr. Fox. <laughs> and Susie had changed forever. So it was obviously had mentally scarred her in some way. So from that point on, you couldn't touch or go or stroke Susie because she would attack you. She would attack anyone that tried to t- go near her. Cujo. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we had the worst pet you could imagine. Didn't come in the house, didn't like to be stroked, and it would attack anyone that dared to, to touch her. And it made you sneeze. And it made me Well, I, I never actually experienced that because I never really touched Susie and, <laughs> and she never came in the house. So, um, yeah, she was a devil cat, poor thing, but she went through a lot. It's where Simon goes for squirrels all the time and he's never caught one, which is great because I met another Whippet owner and they were like, if he ever gets one, they get the bloodlust. And I was like, the what now? Sorry, the the bloodlust. Once they've had a taste of squirrel, they'll always want more. Was it Judd? (laughs) There's a good story about that. Uh, But yeah, so so thankfully he's just just too stupid to catch a squirrel. I mean, literally, they've been sitting in the middle of a field and I'm like, Go and have one. I just I, I, help yourself. Nancy's always like, squirrel, squirrel, get get rid of it. Go. I'm like, do nothing. And have you, I mean, have you met a squirrel these days? If you ran at a squirrel, it would run back at you to fight you. They've I, lost all fear. There was a squirrel sitting on a fence once uh, when I was filming, and I was uh, I was just like, oh look at that squirrel, and I thought I walked towards it, and I got so close, and it didn't move. Yes. I went, but, I got the fear. Yeah. I was like. 
Yeah, I'm gonna leave you alone. <laughs> I don't know what that. Why haven't you moved? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're brave. Anyway, um, Church is getting his nuts cut, uh, which Rachel also has a go at Judd about using language like that in front of her daughter because she's doing a great job of ingratiating herself with your new neighbours after you move to a new place. She also forces Lewis to promise this that is mad. Church won't die. I will never die. Because it's yeah, it is. It's the Team America uh, yeah. line. I will sleep with you if you promise you will never die. <laughs> I promise I will never die. <laughs> because also, at the end of the film, Mary Lambert said there's a, there's we'll get there, but there's a couple of different versions. But basically, Here we go. this is his great <laughs> No, 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 listen. Enjoy it. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm just gonna sit back and let it wash over me. Yeah, Your here turn. we go. So what happens at the end of the film, Victoria? No, what Mary Lambert <laughs> said was that there are you know, that's she is his great love, which is why he's driven to these extremes, right? Their their relationship is good, otherwise he wouldn't bury her. But then when she says in the kitchen, weirdly, doesn't refer to her daughter by name and says, go on, Lewis, give the little girl a promise. That to me is using when a couple in trouble use their kids as weapons because you're turning your daughter against her father because you're point scoring, which is not a healthy relationship. That's what I read. I was like, this marriage is in trouble. Do you think so? A hundred percent. You don't do that. You don't say, go on, tell her everything's fine. And because then he's angry at her and he's like, well, you have to explain to her if the, if the cat doesn't make it through the procedure. Yeah, because, yeah, he is furious with it because he's course. like, there is a chance that it won't wake up. And then, you know, you're the one who's going to have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Point scoring with the kids. I felt horrible when I got Simon's. Um... Nuts cut it's off. for the best, though, isn't it? Like, Oh, it is. It is. But yeah, Where'd I... you keep them? <laughs> <laughs> Under the stairs. That's what he's going for. <laughs> Give me them back. <laughs> it's, it, you know, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's, um, it's absolutely right. That it's the right thing to do. But you do just sort of go. Mm. I, and they don't know. But you do think, you know what I've done. Which yeah. is why I got mine done at the same yeah. time. I was living with my dad when he took me. <laughs> what are you doing to me, dad? Well, I remember when you were getting so you were like, oh, we're going to get a whip it. I was like, all oh, right. Are you going to, like, not that I care about these things, obviously. Are you mm. getting a girl one or a boy one? And you were like, uh, I'm getting a boy cat. I'm getting a, a cat. I'm getting a man dog. And I was like, of course you're getting a man dog. Mm. And then, but you would have walked into that knowing that you were going to have to have that procedure done. Yeah. I don't feel that sorry for you. You could have got a girl dog. I know, but it was more Or a cute dog. <laughs> What do you mean? I don't, know why, I don't know why I said that. Simon is loved universally. He is a beautiful dog. He is a beautiful dog. He's cute when I'm pissed. It's like saying one of Vicky's kids is ugly. <laughs> you say it behind my back, you don't say it to my face. Um, yeah, but you just don't expect it. Because it was my first one. You just don't understand the emotional journey that you go on. Uh, but he's he's fine now and it's much better for him anyway Lewis has a big big first day at work after Victor Pascal a jogger is hit and killed but just before <laughs> he dies he knows Lewis's name this is so awesome because he's like tell me how do you know my name and the bigger question is how are you back from the dead <laughs> he doesn't seem I, to care I about thought that. that I thought that was the Victor Pascal thing it happened in the past and that was like a dream sequence from from no. his previous job. No, it's no, his first. Then he helps and that's out how he knows with... his name. No, it's his first day at work. Yeah. It's his first day at work, but it's never explained. I don't know how he knows his name. I thought that whole thing. I thought that whole. I thought that whole thing was a dream. No. No, because then Victor helps Rachel, so he's real to her. So she's. They could be having a shared dream. I don't know. He's definitely real uh, in that way. 
it, 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 sorry, he's definitely it's definitely his first day at work because it's only then that evening where Victor shows him the pet cemetery, takes yeah. him for that walk. Um, but Brad Greenquist is the guy who plays Pascal. He's great. He's good. Mm. I, I really like him. Uh, I get sort of slight. American Werewolf in London vibes. Yeah, exactly right. Definitely. Oh, it's, exactly the, it's exactly the same. It's, yeah. it's played with the same tone as well. Yeah. Anyway, he shows Lewis the place beyond the cemetery and is all like, this is the place that the dead talk. Don't go to the place where the dead walk. Nice line. Like that line. Uh, but no sooner than you say that, uh, Church gets hit by a truck. An old man, Judd, is taking Lewis there to get the cat brought back. Can we please talk about Judd's decision here? Sure. What is he thinking? Well, I think what he's actually thinking, because he says it at some point later on, is he just couldn't, he loved, you know, he was really bonded with Ellie and he couldn't bear the pain that she would go through. So he, he took Lewis to the cemetery. But then because he's so malevolent as an actor and he's got that weird dual thing where it's like, is he a good, is he a baddie? Is he a, I thought he was doing it on purpose because I read too much. I was like, you're back from the dead and you need fresh meat or whatever to like keep this thing going. You thought it was about Judd? Yeah. Okay. I was very surprised when he wasn't an actual corpse. I it's, mean, at this the, point, it's... spot his dog has died. He's got that story backed up for later about the World War II oh, yeah. uh, soldier who comes back, who they have to burn alive. And he's like, yeah, let's take the cat there. Sure. Yeah. I think he's a good man, but the pet cemetery's doing it to him. Oh, okay. That mm. makes sense. And certainly King has spoken about that in the past. Yeah, he says that, that that's the way the sort of evil part of the cemetery um works on you. He's doing it out of love, but he doesn't realise that it's a bad thing he's doing. I found one quote where someone said, Is there a malevolent side to what um he Judd does? He says he knows better. I had to get that in the book where he says something like you do things, you think they're good things, but something gets a hold of you, hmm. you know, and that's this evil part of the of the cemetery. Yeah, and but also like Vicky says, Stephen King goes, hey, you find uh, Judd kind of falls in love with the family, and uh, of course that's the evil part of the cemetery and the way it works on you. As John Coffey says in The Green Mile, he killed them with their love, and that's what Judd does. He's done out of love. Yep. He's not evil. He's not malevolent. <laughs> Uh, and also uh, in the films, uh, in the film itself, in the script, taking it away from you know what Stephen King says in his interviews, Judd actually says a man doesn't always know why he does some things. Try harder, Judd. <laughs> think, think on this. Think what about is, what's happened before. The quote. What is it? Because I, I sometimes find it hard to track what he was saying. The soil of a man's heart is stonier. Is, is that what he says? Uh, yes. What does that mean? No, you. Don't I? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know. I sort of went, yeah. Sure, right, sure fine, it is. Fine, fine, fine. Still probably don't bury a cat there, but fair enough. Anyway, Lewis is all like, has anyone ever buried a person up there? And I just, I, I love this turn of phrase, which I'm going to start using. Christ on his throne, no. <laughs> yeah, that was excellent. That was a great line. Especially when he turns out to be lying as well. Like He seems genuinely shocked mm. and he's lying. Anyway, Church the Cat is back and he is a massive dick, which can be kind of hard to tell with the cat. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, there's no change. That's, that is just a cat. <laughs> That's your... No, you've had a bad experience with Susie. That's what Susie was like. Some cats Twinkle, aren't like that. Twinkle's lovely. Twinkle acts a bit like a dog, my cat now. So she will lie on the rug on her back with her paws in the air. She doesn't want a tickle or anything like that. She's just really, really relaxed and really happy to be in your company. She's actually quite a little bit too needy, to be honest, for, which for a cat is unusual. So she's all over you all the time. Oh, really? Like, yeah. I want strokes? She wants strokes. She wants attention, talking to, yeah. all sorts. That's like Simon. We should put them together. Yeah. 
He'd eat her. Um, so, yeah. She's smelly and she looks dishevelled. Again, a bit like us the morning after the live podcast. Because <laughs> um, honestly, I mean, I, so church doesn't really do anything a cat wouldn't normally do. Like chucking a dead rat in a bath. I don't think they'd do that. They definitely deliver like oh, dead yeah. rodents. Yes, they do. I mean, I'm just sad we don't get to see the shot of the cat throwing it, lobbing it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> I wondered, this is why I thought maybe Judd thought it would be okay to bury the cat there because he's like, just, just the cat. You won't be able to tell. <laughs> like, people, yes, dogs, sure, but a cat, we'll get away with this. So yep. we'll take it up there. Uh, then Missy kills herself. Moving on. Moving on. Too <laughs> messy. Do Do you have any theories about the importance of this? I guess the only thing is because it leads on to mm-hmm. another conversation. Ellie becomes more obsessed with death and wanting to know about heaven. And is asking her dad a lot of questions about what happens after you die. I thought Missy because she's got uh, constant pain and she doesn't want any help with it, and like in her stomach. And I thought she was a reanimated corpse, and so it got, and that was the price she'd paid. How many characters did you think weren't <laughs> reanimated corpses in this movie? So that's what I thought. Of got her. She's like, oh, I've reached the end of what I can um, endure. Because it was cancer, wasn't it? In the note, she leaves. She says, "I have cancer." I'm oh, sorry. I didn't. I'm, I missed that. Yeah, the handwriting was terrible. I know. She was in a state. So. I think we're just wasting time on missing. <laughs> I think it's worth a mention, though. I just wanted to see if there was anything out there about Missy. Maybe in the book. So uh, we get our Stephen King cameo. I do remember this as a kid. It's a good cameo. It's a great cameo. He's such a scary-looking man. I'm sorry, <laughs> but he is. He's And he just gets more scary the thinner and older he gets. <laughs> uh, of that cameo, he said, I like the people that I was working with, and yeah, man, I wanted the screen credit, too. <laughs> I did. I figured somebody's going to fuck this up, and it's going to be me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Mary Lambert. <laughs> uh, uh, now, now we sort of get a little bit more about why Rachel is the way she is because mm. we get these flashbacks to her sister Zelda mm. who has spinal meningitis. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this? Does this fall into the category that we were talking about mm. last week with Gerald's game? Yes, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and yes. Okay, shall we do yes and no first and then yes and yes? Yeah, go on. Well, yes, because it's othering what is a normal illness and making it into something evil. Mm. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but as I say, in in the defence of it, I think this isn't what happened to this person. This is her memory of what happened um, when she was left alone. And so we're not dealing with reality when we're seeing those visions. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I was really furious. Yeah, agreed. after Gerald's game, I was yeah. like, "What the? What's wrong with you, man? Like, stop doing this!" But then Lewis says to his wife, "Oh, uh, Zelda probably would have been crazy because she was locked in the attic for her whole life." Yeah, he's diagnosing that from a long way away. Yeah. I just thought it was so off, and I also think casting a man as Zelda is a dick move as well to make him him her to make Zelda look in some way off. To your eyes, to cast a man. I think we're, I hate even saying this, but I think we're meant to think Zelda is a monster because she doesn't even look like a woman. And I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what Rachel says. I mean, I sort of read it as more about the fact that the parents left her at home yeah. uh, to look after 
a very sick sister yeah. uh, with no help. And, you know, being a young child, that probably scared her because, you know, this was her sister, but she was, you know, struggling to eat, struggling to swallow. She was choking on her food and having to deal with all that as a child must have been kind of hard. But yeah, I agree. I think it was Mary Lambert's decision to cast a man because, and she actually says, it would be weirder and scarier. See, that's not good, is it? I don't know. I can't I can't quite figure out why I don't like it, but I just didn't. Yeah, I remember vaguely remember these scenes as a kid and I do remember them being quite scary though. Just yeah. the way they're shot and the way it's she terrifying. comes towards camera. It's terrifying scene. Yeah. Uh so Rachel tells Lewis this whole story. And Lewis, having heard it at <laughs> 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 this point I was like, that is the man for me. <laughs> Are you a bit sad? Do you want a Valium? Yeah, yeah do actually. Yeah. I mean that's what he says. He's like, I'll I'll get you one of my I mean the the Valium. <laughs> Okay, you want a devalium? I'm not taking it every day. Shut up. Uh, his other big takeaway from the story, having heard all this, he goes, he goes, amazing. Now I have a really good reason to hate your parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, thank you for sharing that. I because- love the fact that when. She says, she goes, you know, I don't take Valium. And he's like, you do tonight. And like that hits a lot of points for me. Like I like being bossed around in that way. I like being told what to drink quite a lot. So if someone was like, you're having a Valium, I'd be like, brilliant. Let's get married. (laughs) Uh, And then we get the big scene. Gage's death. Truck driver shooting along the road, blasting out some Ramones. Yeah. Pedal to the metal boys. Yeah. And Gage wanders into the road. Sheena is a punk rocker. rocker. Gage is a flat kiddie. That's what he should be singing. (laughs) It's quite a powerful scene. It's a really well done death. The shot of the truck coming towards the camera from almost Gage's point of view as the last shot and then just the shoe. Uh Oh, Oh, it's awful. But also talking about... Mike Flanagan again, like notice how much more powerful it is because the actual shot of Gage being flattened by a truck is left to your imagination and that's worse. So you don't need to see a kid being killed frame for frame. You haven't let that go, huh? No, I'm really mad about it. Still mad. Still huh? mad about it. Still mad yeah. about that. Wow. Because that doesn't that show you though? Because I know you like you didn't no, you didn't like the scene, but you didn't mind it and you thought it was brave and mm. all the rest of it. And I'm not being mean to you. I'm just saying, but when you watch this, you could have shown the kid go under the wheels and all the rest of it, but it's, it's I more... The circumstances are so different. I Not even I want to see a child explode on the bumper of a truck. I'm not, like, that sick. Okay. I yeah, thought... and more, my problem with the Dot Sleep one is more about watching being tortured at length. That's why I... Yeah, me too. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think you could have shown... The, I wouldn't have been against him showing the kid getting hit by the truck. Ooh. But this was very effective. Yeah. Um, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant scene. Do you think this is because you've got kids and we don't? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, and it's not just me. It's like Stephen King, there's a reason why he's got kids and his kid ran in the road and everybody's kid runs in the road at some point. And it is the absolute worst feeling you've ever felt in your whole life. Mm. And then you torture yourself with these things all, I torture myself with these things constantly, um, which is probably says more about me, but it's just one of those things that it would, it could happen so easily. It often almost happens all the time. And then he, you know, and there, and there it is in front of you. Mm. So it is, it's really horrific for that. It's not as horrific, weirdly, as I thought, as the funeral afterwards. Mm. Because the truck scene, I think a lot of people with kids have played that out in their head. And so that's, you know, that's in there. But the funeral just adds more fuel. I've never imagined that. It's a shock. <laughs> it's like, it's a yeah. shock. 
Yeah, get a lead. Like you, you're not allowed to walk sighthounds off a lead on a road because if they see something, they'll run for it. Yeah. And um, actually, although I did, I saw a whippet with its owner just trotting up behind him, not on a lead. Yeah. The other day, and I was like. I hate you. How have you managed to oh, do that? Oh, because he's so well trained. Because he's trained a whippet to yeah. not like. But the most hysterical I've ever seen Nettie was when Simon ran into the road. He like was chasing a puppy out Ooh. of. The, we were in the park and he ran into the road Ooh. and the sound like she made it was like I was like, oh my god, what is that noise? Yeah, well, it was awful. Was it like Lewis here? No. <laughs> and we'll continue after this break. <laughs> If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big moment. He delivers that well. Because it's also because, you know, the torturing yourself stuff is, it's only, it's not Gage's fault, it's only little. It is Lewis's fault for making them move to that stupid house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But that funeral scene. Uh, so uh, this funeral scene, um, Mary Lambert talks about it. She was like, Stephen was my ally in keeping this scene in there. The studio wanted to take it out. They felt it was too sad and it took away from the scariness 
of the film, but Stephen was very supportive at that point in terms of saying no. He thought the elements were important. It's quite, really, it's quite it's weird tonally that scene, but I think I think that works because it would be a surreal moment. Yeah. This would play out surreally. You could see, you could believe that happening in this situation, and it would play out in quite a strange way. And just so. you know, there's so many social conventions around funerals and weddings and, mm. and things like that, and to have a fist fight with your father-in-law because he's so grief-stricken is the worst thing imaginable. Mm. And no no one knowing how to react is, yeah. is exactly how it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the father-in-law, Irwin, uh, from Chicago, I mean, I watched it and I was like, you're a massive shit to Lewis. I mean, sure, sure it's your grandson. I get that. Mm. But it's his son as well. And he clearly does not like the state of Maine, uh, doesn't Irwin? Because he goes, I told you when you moved here, you'd have all the grief in the world. <laughs> Which is like, oh, really? <laughs> is Maine famous for its grief? Is think, it like? Does he not just mean the, the death road? Like, you can't move there. Do you think so? Maybe. If uh, I was a grandparent, I, that would freak me out. I'd never be able to relax again. Yeah, but they've never been to the house, have they? Because they yeah. refuse to leave Chicago because they hate Maine. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then he doesn't stop there. He goes, I hope you rot in hell, you stinking shit. <laughs> You killer of children, plural. That's true, yeah. <laughs> what? Like, He's done what now? <laughs> is there something else going on here? Um, and then after that, after Lewis has finally had enough and pushes him over, he has the audacity to pull that expression on his face like, do you see what he did? <laughs> do you put, he pushed me over. Yeah. He pushed me over after I called him a stinking shit <laughs> and a killer of children. Of course he fucking did, mate. The killer of children, yeah. But the, the coffin falling over and you're seeing the little hand. Oh, but little, good, bad. Little little blue hand. Mm. Mm. It's. I, I really like the scene. I thought it was a great scene. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, obviously, uh, Rachel and Ellie uh, go off to stay with uh, Grandma and Granddad, leaving Lewis to start thinking thoughts best not thought. And Judd tells him, sometimes dead is better. Mm. Which is an interesting theme uh, that runs through the film. Uh, King talks about this idea of sometimes dead is better. It's uh, it's about anybody who's ever had to deal with a lingering illness or a relative that won't let go. Sometimes the desire to live is just a biological thing and it's better when it's over. Everybody's dealt with that, you know. You deal with it with your parents, your grandparents, and at some point you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. And that's his theory about a lot of the themes in this film and whether you should just go, well, that's that. Yeah. It doesn't quite work when it's a kid. Well, I think that's the point because he is right that there are circumstances. Well, everyone would connect with that in some way, but you, you, but never when it's a baby. Like, yeah, there's just no way. And that's why it's an interesting choice making Lewis a doctor. So he's someone who deals with death on a daily basis and should be able to cope with this. But all bets are off when it's your own child. Mm. There are numerous discussions online, and it does fit into this part of the film that perhaps uh, there is a crossover because, as we were saying with Cujo, there's a, a crossover the the, de- the dead zone and. Whether this is a crossover with the Shining universe, because there is this idea that perhaps Ellie and maybe even to a certain extent Rachel have the Shining because more than once they seem to know what is going on back home in Maine when they're over in Chicago. Ellie basically knows everything. Mm. It's it's framed as a dream, but she's like, I know Victor's last name. I know everything. This is where he's starting to build the shared universe. I think Castle Rock appeared in the first time in, in Dead Zone and then... It's obviously come back over and over again, and yeah, I, there's a there's a there's so many characters in the King universe that have a form of what he turns yeah. shining. Yeah. So yeah, I've got no doubt that that's that that's what's happening here. Because Rachel tries to phone Lewis, can't get hold of him while she's standing in front of the scariest painting ever seen in a film. Yeah. That kid with the cat. 
So I wanted to know because then Gage looks is dressed up like that later. Mm. So I wanted to know who it was, and I ended up on Reddit, which is quite unusual for me. Mm. Um, that's it's meant to be Zelda. So this is what people think. Okay. So that's a painting of Zelda before she was confined to the attic. Mm. And then when Gage, because it is quite shocking that he would go on this rampage, he's supposed to be inhabited by Zelda and getting his his her revenge on Rachel. Well, that was a big part of American portraiture in that era because children died young. Mm. The yeah. mortality rate was high. You would you would have a painting done of your child when they're two or three years old so you could remember them in case they did die. Mm. And so she said that was the darkest thing I could imagine, so I had to put it in the film. Yeah. And she certainly found a creepy version, didn't she? <laughs> that frigging top hat. <laughs> and now we find out that Lewis has probably gone a little bit mad. Yeah. Because he's digging up his son Gage and he has a plan at this point, but it's when the police drive through the graveyard and they don't spot him with a searchlight and he just laughs like a maniac. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you've you've gone over the edge. Which is good because you're questioning the choices because you saw what happened to the cat. And so you know it's not mm. going to end well, Lewis, at this point. And also you've gone to dig up your son under cover of daylight, which I think is <laughs> a mistake. Yeah. Uh, while all this is going on, uh, Judd is eating a gherkin and peanut butter sandwich, uh, which I immediately made myself after seeing it. Is that it. what I was eating? That sounds oh, amazing. Never had one before. So I like, I've had peanut butter and lettuce, which has been a, a, a staple of mine. Peanut butter and gherkin. Sounds lovely. It's next level shit. Trust me. <laughs> if you have one takeaway from Pet Cemetery, yeah. peanut butter and gherkin sandwiches. You're not convinced, Chris? No. You don't, you're one of those that you don't like mixing salt, uh, sweet and savoury, do you? Not really. And you don't like fruit in things like a salad. Yeah, or on a pizza. Or don't on put a pizza. fruit on my pizza. Yeah. Anyway. Mm, okay. <laughs> So Rachel travels across country to get back and see what the hell is going on. And she has the help of ghost Victor Pascal uh, while the force of the evil of the burial ground tries to stop her. Again, this is a theme that isn't really fully explored in the book. It is uh, Stephen King did lots of research mm. about the Wendigo and this this idea of what this force sort of reaching out from beyond it. But. I don't know, it just gives her a flat tyre and then she gets a lift from a truck driver who you know she's in a rush because if a truck driver goes, hop in, babe, you're probably going to go, I'll wait. Uh, yeah, I did wonder <laughs> if she sort of hopped out of the truck like wiping her mouth a bit like I fucking had to. I didn't want to. <laughs> and we're into the climax and we get some proper good old-fashioned 80s gore. I love this era of cinema. Evil Gage is back, and in one of the movie's most memorable scenes, he slices Judd's Achilles heel with a scalpel, Chris. Yeah. You could say that scenes like that are my Achilles heel. <laughs> you really hate it, don't you? Is it What is it about it's the... It's because you've injured your Achilles tendon. Yeah, but it? I'm trying to think. I think I had this issue before I had the bad Achilles. Right. So that's... Maybe I brought that on myself, the bad Achilles. <laughs> maybe it's in my head. But... um. But yeah, there's just something about that tendon getting sliced. Really upset. Really upset. Even saying it's making me feel upset. And I always close my eyes, but I didn't close my eyes in time this time. And it was really hard to see it. And it's pretty funny. And there was, <laughs> there, it was on screen long enough that I should have known when it was exposed. Mm. That that bit of his foot. Oh, yeah. it's it. I, I couldn't think of another reason why he's wearing slippers on this mission. <laughs> and I was like, well, you've got to get that Achilles heel out. But I find it worse when he gets sliced across the lips by the scalpel. Mm. That does it for me. Did you ever, I think it was one of the Jackass movies where they're just doing horrible things. Steve-O goes into a room and they've got um, 
sheets of A4 paper. No, 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 no. And they start no. off by running them between their fingers. Mm. So no. that little webbing that you have between the fingers, and then they do it to Steve-O, and they run it across the corners of his mouth no. like that, mm. and cut them open with the paper. No. That, that's from the film Spoon with Sharks. Have you ever seen that? No. Where uh, Kevin Spacey plays an evil film producer, and his assistant ends up holding him hostage and the first thing well, he does to talk that. to him yeah. is with paper cuts because of all the paper cuts he's got working for him he, yeah. he, that's from that film and it is one of the most horrific scenes in film history that also plays quite funny Yeah, especially now the jackass scene they did for real though and the best thing is Steve-O's last line after he sort of had his mouth sliced open in the corners he's, he just sort of walks out and he goes glad I came in this room <laughs> it's funny uh, and then Gage hasn't finished he bites out Judd's throat brilliant so they yeah they they had to because that's really the kid um they they how they did that was they had to teach here that kid how to pretend to bite and oh, so he right, learned how yeah. to pretend to bite and so he's really got his jaws clamped on Fred Gwynn's <laughs> neck but he's pretending to bite and Fred Gwynn really sells it yeah you think he's getting his throat ripped you'd out. have to because uh, Gage is still only about two years old and Judd is a big man and you, you I, there's a part of you it, it's one of the funniest slash most brilliant things I've ever seen but it is unbelievable that he can't just chuck his two year old across the room because he's two even if he is a demon hell baby or whatever but yes Judd does a very good job of making you believe that he's got superhuman strength yeah mm. uh, and then Rachel it uh, turns out has uh, done uh, 100% uh, Mr Halloran from The Shining where she has travelled across country on various different mm. forms of transport gets there and gets killed immediately yeah, yeah. yeah. it's proper I bought you something mummy <laughs> I couldn't believe the little shit turned on his mum <laughs> And he's wearing the velvet outfit and the top yeah, hat, isn't yeah. he, from the portrait? Like, yep. there's a there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and it's that. I tell you what, it is. It's that little little child voice and the laughter. Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting to have that turned around into something evil. What yes. is the most beautiful, innocent sound in the world? But they can, that's the thing. I think about this a lot. Like the children in when they're in their bedroom, they're if they want to get up in the night. I know everyone talks about this and come into our room. They are allowed to do that. But we've got like blackout blinds. So you are so asleep. And then all of a sudden you just hear, Mommy! And it's like, fucking hell. And your first instinct isn't, oh, the child. It's like, get whatever that is away from me. Yeah. Why would? Why do you need to watch horror movies when you can wake up at 3 a.m. and yeah. find a child standing over you? Yeah. Blackout blinds are great though. I know, but because we didn't have them in the other room. So now we're sleeping really deeply. So when they wake me up, I am not nice to <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the fact that Church is looking on through all this, really egging him on. Yeah. Classic that's classic church. <laughs> yeah, and it's really good work. Um I think it maybe owes a little bit of a debt to Child's Play, which I couldn't believe came out the year before. Mm. I thought Child's Play was much later, but it was eighty eight the first Child's Play came out. And the work with the doll that they do. Oh, it's very similar. I mean, there would have been um, you know, they would have been making this while Charles played before Charles play came out so mm. it wouldn't be copying but yeah it does look like Chucky yeah mm. several times it's just it, but it's really good because the to... way the doll moves when it sort of is like just sort of because it's clearly just been thrown out of the attic at her yeah. but it just looks like this child's just leapt yeah. straight at her without thinking about how it's going to get to her it's yeah. great but, uh, you, but you really have to suspend your disbelief when it's clearly a doll in a way that you didn't I think in Cujo yeah yeah, me, yeah. But I quite love... I think some, as long as it's not CGI, as long as it's still a practical real-world in-camera effect, sometimes the weirdness of having a doll there actually accentuates the weirdness of the scene. Well, interestingly, in, have you watched the remake of Pet Cemetery? No. 
it, it, for for the 2019 version, they make it the sister that dies yeah. rather than the boy, yeah, and that. and I think it was simply be so that they could get an actor, so they get someone to act rather than trying to make a toddler do things, mm. and and I think it was very hard for them to 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 get this child to do certain things and you didn't want you don't want to upset the child or scar them and so yeah that's I, I think it works fine I know fans of the book were upset about that change but it doesn't really make that much of a child is still a child and Stephen King had absolutely no problem with it he, he completely understood why you would do that for a movie version because sometimes you need an actor mm-hmm. and, that, and then you don't have a Chucky issue and talking about the way that uh, Gage delivers a line and uh, the actor uh, delivers the line uh, is there any better moment than when he gets injected with the poison eventually oh, by Lewis? Oh, my he goes, God. It's he goes, so good. No fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh. But also, you feel sorry for him. Because yeah. when Do, his dad injects really him, sorry for him, he screams like a two-year-old, three-year-old yeah. would. And if you were Lewis, you'd be like, oh, God, I'm really sorry. I can't believe I've just done that. Mm. But you have to. But mm. it's very good. It yeah, I mean, they both they both sell it there. But it's it's incredible. He's he's pure evil, and yet you it's it's just an impossible thing to watch. Yeah. A little child being yeah. but euthanized. It's clever that he sort of he sort of almost knows that like he that his last action is going to be to guilt trip the fuck out of his dad <laughs> by going mm. no fair you cheated by bringing a syringe yeah. with you mm. yeah. And too. yet, <laughs> Lewis will still not learn. <laughs> when he, this... waited, he waited too long with Gage, it'll definitely work, as Rachel's only just died. This guy, this fucking guy. So, yep, yeah, he's hauling Rachel up to the burial ground, comes back, as you do, sits down for a game of solitaire by the fridge. Uh, <laughs> just, and then um, and Rachel comes back, so... The ending here, there were two different endings for the movie and mm. the ending in the book uh, was also kind of different. So uh, the book ends uh, with Lewis playing solitaire in the house, waiting. He hears the door open, footsteps behind him. He draws the Queen of Spades and then behind him, the reanimated Rachel puts a cold hand on his shoulder and with a voice, in quote marks, full of dirt, simply says, darling. <laughs> and that's how it ends. Good. So the original ending in the movie was uh, also more ambiguous. Um, the Rachel and uh, under Rachel came back into the kitchen where Lewis is playing solitaire, but um, it leaves it at that. She just comes in, and you're not sure. It's slightly more ambiguous. Mm. Uh, Lambert said this was a more spooky, sad, and tragic ending because the audience knows it's not going to be what he wants. He's not coming back as his wife, but it's not clear what's going to happen. The studio said, absolutely not. We want it reshot and a lot more graphic. So they did all the gruesome effects uh, with prosthetics and she kills Lewis and... Uh, as is alluded to by the scream over the fade to black. Yeah, I watched an interview with her on the Blu-ray and she said the studio notes were, we want some black humour, we want a pow, and we want to send people out with a smile on their face. Which, I mean, it kind of, it's funny, isn't it? Especially when he's tonguing her. Yeah. Like, uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't, it's not very believable. Oh, shit. Pussy weeping eyes. She's got one as well in this. That was another connection with Cujo. Yeah, yeah. I don't really buy him French kissing her no. when she walks in. But like he's that. mad at this point. He's yeah. just he's lost it. Yeah. And you know, she still looks all right. <laughs> <laughs> Any port in a storm. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty much it. Uh, Mary Lambert had a sequel idea that uh, didn't get made. She did direct Pet Cemetery 2, but it wasn't the original version she wanted to make. Um, she wanted to make a story where Ellie, who clearly lives out. Um, 
her teenage years until she's an adult with grandpa and grandma in Chicago, decides to return to Maine to find out what happened to her parents. Uh, Lambert says, we don't know exactly what happened to Lewis and Rachel. I think it probably would have worked out best if the body was one of them, if one of them was found and the other was presumed destroyed in the fire, but they actually survived wandering round in the woods. I was leaning towards Lewis just because of the Lewis-Ellis connection. Uh, that didn't get made. Uh, they made a different version with Edward Furlong in that Lambert did direct. King had his name taken off and I haven't seen. No, I can't. I can't no. remember if I've seen it or not. I think in the new film, you end up with Lewis, Rachel and Ellie all zombified and sort of marching towards Gage. That's still yeah. human at the end. Oh, wow. And that's quite, I mean, that was quite a fun ending. And what I will say about that remake is it is is it, it loses the campy tone. There's definitely a campness to this that mm. they got rid of, which is fine. And and the other thing I remember is Victor Pascal is not played for laughs at all. He's he's um he's played for scares. Mm. It's fine, but this is definitely the superior version. So yeah, uh when he was asked about the remake in twenty nineteen, uh and indeed, the fact that there were a lot of King movies getting made. Stephen King says, what happened, I guess, was that it was such a big success that people decided, well, there must be gold in some of that old shit. <laughs> uh, as I said on Monday, I did check. Uh, no animals were harmed in the making of this. The rat was dead. The cat was dead. And the cat that is put to sleep was put to sleep by a veterinarian. So, yeah, because it is definitely a dead cat on the road. So I was like, have they got the cat? It's a fake lot? cat. Oh, good. It's a fake. Because it looked a lot like a real it dead cat. It looked really good, but yeah. it's not. It's not. So we're fine. We're all good. Shall we do the bits? Mm. All right then. Victoria, best scene. Uh, Gage getting killed by the truck. <gasps> Why? Because it's just so powerful <laughs> yeah. and, and weirdly tastefully done. <laughs> and, uh, memorable and horrible and it chills you and thrills you and whatever, whatever. It's not too much, just enough kind of thing. Mm. Chris? I was frightened to pick that. So I'm going for what you mentioned. It's when Gage walks away saying no fair and then falls over. I watched that over and over again, trying to figure out how they did that. And also just hearing him say, no fair, it's really freaky. No and I think they played it backwards, the scene where he, because he walks into, yeah. walk, like smacks himself. Mm. And I think that was him getting up and walking. So uh, so that, that the way that it's kind of off, I don't know, all that stuff with Gage is really engaging. Um, nice. It's just, I don't know, it's him walking around the house, killing people and it being a two-year-old doing it. <laughs> In some scenes, it's like, this is amazing. I, I've never seen anything like it before. It's probably wrong but I'm really enjoying it. It's actually hard to believe. Miko Hughes is the child mm. actor, and it's hard to believe that that is the same kid that you saw early on in the movie because he is so mm. terrifying yeah. at the end and so yeah. composed. He's like and angry there's a, face. There's a yeah. stillness about him, but like the look in his eyes is one of just glee at the, 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 the torture he's inflicting on these people. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't afraid to pick the same one as Vicky. It's Gage's death by the truck. Mm -hmm. It's an impressive and <clears throat> moment. Right then, most valuable whatever, Chris. Well, if it's whatever, I'll say the creepy kid in the top hat in the painting on the wall. <laughs> that is a very valuable uh, <clears throat> kid. But equally, uh, we talk about kids. Uh, Mary Lambert is the one who says that uh, Gage is the reason the film works. Uh, and uh, people loving Gage is the reason the film works. So uh, she said Miko Hughes, so I'm going to go with her. Okay, Victoria? Same. Mm. Yeah, just when he's growling <laughs> at the end, like, how did you get him to do it? Like, he was, I read he was like 27 months when he filmed it. You can tell a 27-month-old to do stuff, but it doesn't mean they will do it. And so you go, like, you know, it's a film, it's expensive, $11 million was a lot of money back then, and you're like, okay, go. 
snarl and he just does like that's crackers to me he's so good at it yeah but also you can see that they i think you know watching it you can see that they were true to their word in that in that he's not in any he's not in any scene where something bad is happening like physically yeah. like it, it there's a lot of cutaways to some of the weird awful stuff so mm. i think they hopefully managed to keep some of that horror away from him although i think a couple of weeks afterwards he did bite someone's throat out so <laughs> That's yeah. how Fred Gwynn died. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm sort of, I've got the same as you. I've written down two because, you know, I'm a dickhead like that. But uh, I've got Fred Gwynn as Judd because I think he deserves a mention because I think he's just so good in this. But also Miko Hughes as Evil Gage is probably one of the scariest child performances I've seen. And he ended up having a career as well. He was in Kindergarten Cop. Apollo 13, Spawn. He was the kid in Mercury Rising with Bruce Willis. Oh. He's on the poster for Wes Craven's <laughs> New Nightmare. So he, he, like, he ended up being a good actor mm. because obviously just because he can do things when he's told when he's two and a half years old doesn't mean you're an actor. <laughs> but yeah, he grew up to be a, a proper actor. Not that you're going to come to regret this moment, but I have just written down Mercury Rising as a film we should do. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years. And I remember thinking, this is terrible. We're going to have to do it. I mean, we could do a whole Bruce Willis season of terrible, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the period where he made a lot. Not, Yeah, not the straight to DVD ones either. The ones that got <laughs> yeah, yeah, cinema yeah. releases. Yeah, 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 yeah. Colour of, colour of night. Uh, fine then. Uh, Victoria, change. So I, you've already said it, which is weird, because it's what Mary Lambert said, but it really is my change. So I don't think you should remake the film in 2019. I think you should do a film that follows up what happens to Ellie because her whole family are dead and she just went to stay with grandma and granddad mm. and she loves her little brother mm. and her dad, the moron, has taken his eye off the ball that he's got actually another kid that he should be thinking about, brings her mum back to life and then they both die. So how would that affect her? So she goes back and she's either like a big scary monster herself because of all these terrible things or she's lovely or whatever. But that's the thing I would like to see. Yeah, I'd watch the shit out of that. I actually, I can't can't find the quote, but I think there was something about the studio because I think she was going to be sort of a teenage Ellie, sort of a late teen when she came back in this idea for the movie and the studio were just like, "Mm, we're not sure about a female teenage lead in this movie. Great. Yeah, which is why Edward Furlong got cast in it. Perfect. I think the tagline for Pet Cemetery 2 is, We hate girls. (laughs) (laughs) Raise some hell. Not a bad tagline. Mm. What's your change? Uh, it's not good. <laughs> um, okay. But just trying to come up with an alternative ending because I feel like this ending's a bit off. I think uh, Lewis, Lewis has done the wrong thing, both morally and legally. So I think it'd be fun to have the film end with him getting done for Gage's scalpel murders. Okay. They've been carted off at the end by the mm. police, mm. handcuffed. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, I've done mine already. Bye bye, Missy. <laughs> That's it. Just don't need her in there. Um, which is a shame because she's, she's a really, really good. good yeah, yeah, she's great in the bit she's in. It's just like, where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, right then. Any more for any more? No. All right. Let's do the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. These were your choices, V. Yeah, they were. Um, I can't tell. I don't think I can tell. Mm, don't know. All right, so Alex, go first. Uh, Okay, I enjoy both of these, um, but despite it overflowing with too many ideas, not all of which make sense, I think there are enough great moments and interesting images and a sense of dread that Pet Cemetery is the clear winner for me this week. I'm keeping it brief. Cujo's a good film. I enjoyed it, but only after 40 minutes in and uh, all the pot boiler stuff at the start. Get rid of that. So, yeah. Uh, pet cemetery for me and also a dog doesn't die so it gets double points very nice what about you so 
I'd say Pet Cemetery is the quintessential Stephen King movie in terms of the theme, the script that he wrote, the location, even cameos in it. You can't get more King than Pet Cemetery. But I also really enjoyed Cujo. I think it's a really fun, tight, enjoyable film. But I struggled to come up with a favourite scene in Cujo. Conversely, while Pet Cemetery had more bad scenes, I think, than Cujo, it also had more good scenes. So many that I really struggled to, to narrow it down to a best scene in Pet Cemetery. So for hitting the highs that Cujo couldn't quite reach and being about something that actually properly, genuinely got under my skin, I'm going Pet Cemetery too. Pet Cemetery is the winner. And I'm thinking Victoria's going the same way, but I will leave it I to you. I feel like to she's going to, don't you? Yeah, just it's um, it's not the fault of the film, but I thought Cujo was going to be a dog from hell, and he's just a poorly dog, and so I didn't feel as I couldn't get on board with like, yeah, get this dog as much as I these would are like words. To. I will say, I never thought I'd hear Vicky say <laughs> because but- this whole animal thing is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I am not conforming to your lie of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> um, anyway, so in Pet Cemetery, which is just very, very funny as well. Uh, I, I like the themes. I like the idea. Like, what would you do if the worst thing you could ever imagine happens to you? What would you do to keep your family together? It's really funny and it's really horrible. And after I'd watched it, I was like, I think I'm going to put this in my top 15 films of all time because it was, I just didn't remember it. And I just had so much fun watching it. Sorry, so this is in your top 15 films of all time? I think it, it doesn't nudge the top 10, but let's be serious for a second. But I think 1989's Pet Cemetery. <laughs> it's in your top 15. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. It might be number 15. Every so often we do a film on the podcast yeah. which I wasn't expecting to love as much as I end up loving it. You say quite a lot, though, they're in your top 10 now. So I'm wondering how big your top 10 is at this point. Yeah, I would hate to be pressed on it. Don't do it now. Because Rosemary's Baby got in it, didn't it, Rosemary's recently? Baby went to the top five. Did, did Misery get in it? No, no, something recently did as well. Where's this baby? Is it the relic? <laughs> it <laughs> was the toughest man in the world. <laughs> that was good. Free Jack? Yeah. It was Free Jack. So top 15. I just thought it was so much fun. Lovely. It's so daft. That's I great. Would, it's, and you know, you talked about like, oh, what's that film called that I hated? Um, Dog Soldiers, was it? But you're like, it's a film to watch when you're pissed mm. with your mates. Like, this is classic that. Such, mm. It was no, just agreed. so much fun. Agreed. Yeah, it's a joy. Pet Cemetery. Three four three for Pet Cemetery this week. I thought it might have been closer than it was. So we've done three Stephen King pairings, and I think all of them have been three for three in terms of our votes. That's true. Mm, these I've, are whitewashers. Oh yeah. I flip flopped on you Daryl's did? game yeah, 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 in so. the end. Yeah, after it's, uh, it's three whitewashers. Uh, what uh, is yeah. going to be next week? Will it be four for four? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Well, you can reveal the films. I'm going <laughs> to reveal the films. Thanks. He's I just you set up. you up. I know you are. <laughs> Um, so my choices for our final Halloween countdown show of King versus King I gave you a Which, clue I'm guessing no one has figured these ones out <laughs> he saved the best till last and a clue there will be a certain obligatory reference next week so the movies next week are of course the 1990 It TV miniseries starring Tim Curry versus 2017's It Chapter 1 and 2019's It Chapter 2. Ladies and gentlemen, Clash Potters, near and far, that is over eight hours of movie watching in preparation for next week's show, but that Punishing. is Punishing. your homework. You best do it. Uh, <laughs> the nineteen ninety version is available all over the place. Amazon, Apple, and the remakes are available on Amazon as well. I don't think they're on Netflix, um, no, so not. you are going to have to purchase these, but <laughs> or rent what? them, or re- purchase them through renting. 
rent them through a purchase. Purchase means renting as well, Chris. You always make this more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminds me, at the end of Pet Cemetery, Judd is doing his sermonising. He's like, you own what you buy. And I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> Classic. Judd. <laughs> right then, this year's Halloween countdown, King versus King continues next week with It versus It. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Back on Monday, talking 1990s It. Have a great weekend. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.